Today, we are in part three of this series called How Do I? Week one, we asked the question, how do I hear God's voice? And that's a really big question that I think is it's an imperative, it's a foundational question, because when we hear God's voice, then we can have all the other questions answered, right? Then in week two, we talked about how to deal with difficult people. And then, of course, last week, we took a break from the series, and we had our, our big birthday celebration, and it was amazing. Celebrated one year as a church. Praise God. God's got, God did amazing things in this church and, and through this church this last year, in our first year, and I can't wait to see what God has in store for us next year. And so today, we're picking back up on this series, and today, this how do I question is a big question. It's something that is relevant to every single one of us. As a matter of fact, it's a, it's a life and death question, honestly, truly. It's a life and death question because the question that we're answering today is, how do I survive a shark attack? Because I know that's the one you've always been wanting to know. You watch that on the screen there, and you want to know, how do I survive a shark attack? So go with me to the book of Jonah. <laughs> All right, I'm just kidding. We're, what we're looking at today really is relevant. We're asking the question... How do I handle stress? How do I handle stress? So if I was in a shark attack, this actually would be relevant as well. So that's good. How do I handle stress? You know, uh, this is a big question because it seems like the world that we live in today is more stressed out than ever before, right? I, I mean, seriously, the experts say that 44% of Americans say that we are more stressed today than we were five years ago. And one out of five people are in extreme stress. How do you know all this information? There are actually institutes, stress institutes. Like there are, are organizations and institutes that are, you know, solely studying stress and how, the effect it has on our culture and on the people today. And so they, one out of five people are in extreme stress. Well, what does that mean? It means the stress that they are experiencing is so intense that it's having a physical effect on their life. Maybe it's, it's causing them to have tremors. Maybe it's causing high blood pressure. Maybe it's, it's causing uh, depression, loss of sleep, that kind of stuff. They said this, the studies show that 60% of all illnesses and diseases in our culture today, they have their roots in our stress levels. And I know we've got a couple doctors here in the house that can confirm that, and maybe they even have updated stats better than that. I don't know, but... That's some serious business. So the question is, where's all this stress coming from? What, 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 what's the deal with the stress? You know, we've got a long list of things that cause stress in our lives. And this is not just an exhaustive list, but it's a list that I think we can probably all agree with. Is one of the things that causes stress in our lives is relationships, right? And we kind of talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We talked about how to deal with difficult people because there's no anxiety like people anxiety, right? So relationships can cause stress. And if, if that... If, if things don't get resolved in a relationship, then it kind of like blossoms into conflict. And conflict causes more stress, you know? So you got relationships and conflict, and some of you are thinking, you know why I'm stressed? I'm stressed because I'm married, because of my spouse. You know, they're the ones, they're the source of my stress. And, but some of you are like, I'm stressed because I'm not married. You know, you think, you think that if I was just married, then I wouldn't be so stressed, you know? Uh, some people think... The, the deadlines. Deadlines are stressful. You might have deadlines at work. You might have deadlines to file paperwork with the government. There might be deadlines at school. Legal issues are stressful. Legal issues can be very, very stressful. It's one of the, the things that's high up on the list that, that causes stress. Another thing that's high up there is divorce. It's divorce. And though Jamie and I have never been divorced, thank God, and we have plans to not ever get divorced, we have had divorce in our family before. You know, with family members, and it, it is extremely stressful. Some of you, are, you, you walked into a new job, and you're like, my new job is stressful. Some of you are like, no, my old job is stressful. Sickness can be stressful, and that's kind of like that cyclical thing where you may, maybe you got sick because of stress, or maybe you just you got sick, and then it's causing stress, but then it's causing more sickness, and it's just this, this cyclical thing. Parenting can be stressful, right? Parents, any parents in the room? It's a little stressful sometimes, yes. Even with wonderful children that love the Lord, sometimes it can be stressful. 
The expectations of others can cause stress in our lives. If we allow others' expectations to dominate us, it will absolutely cause you stress. If you just live your life according to how everyone else tells you that you're supposed to live your life. We're going to get into that here in a little bit. Another thing that causes stress is unresolved sin. What does that mean? I mean that stuff that's in your life that you have not taken to the Lord and surrendered it to God yet. I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know what, I'm, I'm not saying that you might have an issue that you continually struggle with. But there are things in our lives that sometimes we just accept and say, well, this is, this is my thing. This is the thing. And you actually embrace sin in your life instead of just continuing to surrender to the Lord. And that might, for some of us, we've surrendered things to the Lord, but then we've stepped back into that sin. But I want to encourage you, if you find yourself there, if you find yourself and you've stepped back into a sinful area in your life, don't get to the point where you're just like, well, I guess this is it. I, this is my thing. This is my lot in life. I'm going to embrace this. This is part of who I am. I'm never going to be able to overcome this. Don't do that. If you find yourself in that place again, surrender it back to God and say, God, here I am again asking for forgiveness. Here I am again receiving forgiveness. Here I am again asking for your help, Holy Spirit, because, God, I know your plan for my life is to be an overcomer. I'm no longer a slave to sin, but I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of the king. But you've got to surrender those things to God because unresolved sin can cause stress in your life. And then, of course, for me personally, Jeremy Pruitt and the Tennessee Volunteers <clears throat> can cause me a lot of stress. Did you know that three games that they've lost this year have all been by 26 points? I told a friend yesterday, we're going to fly to Las Vegas on Saturday. We're going to put a bet against the Vols. They're going to lose to Auburn by 26 points. And then we're going to get rich. We're going to tithe on it. And the church is going to be really <laughs> in a good spot. I'm just kidding. I have to say that because some people were like, oh, my gosh, that pastor's teach church. Did you, let me show you this clip I found on the Internet. He's flying to Las Vegas and making bets on Saturday, and he's getting up in the pulpit and preaching on Sunday. No way he's flying to Las Vegas. We're just going to make the bets here locally. <laughs> Listen, we all have a lot of stress, right? The good news is this. God's word has some great things when, when, uh, to address our stress. God has some good things to say. The funny thing is, is that I find it kind of comforting. It's kind of comforting to me that Jesus actually promised us that, that stress would come at us. He, he promised it. And I think there's a lot of people out there that they just think that, man, if I'm doing everything right, if I'm just walking God's path for my life, then I'm not going to have any problems. But that is not what Jesus said. That's not the story that we see that's not the narrative that we see all throughout the scriptures. In fact, Jesus promised us that we would have problems. He said it would come. Jesus said this in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. I've told you, told you these things so that you would have peace in me. You know, the part of the service where it's not just like a transitional thing. You know, it's like... Well, this is what they do to transition from this part of the service to the next part of the service. But our greeting time at the end of worship, it's called passing of the peace. Because this is the part of the service where we look into each other's eyes and we say, may the peace of Christ be with you. And then we respond to each other and say, also with you. And also with you. Because our peace is founded, it's rooted in the person of Jesus. And Jesus said this, he says, here on this earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Oh, wouldn't that feel good? <laughs> Praise the Lord. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. That's good news, somebody. Jesus has overcome, and because he has overcome, we can overcome. Even through the problems, stress does not have to rule us. We're going to have troubles from time to time. God's solution isn't just to keep us from all the troubles, but it's to give us peace in the midst of the storm. Just like the disciples in the storm out in the Sea of Galilee, and they're freaked out. Where's Jesus? He's asleep in the boat. He's got peace in the midst of the storm. And then they wake him up, 
Jesus, Jesus, we're you know, freaking out. And Jesus comes up and he commands peace to come to that storm because he's overcome the world, right? Peace, be still. And then you know what? He told the disciples, why did you come wake me up? You have the same authority. Can I tell you things I've literally done? You know, here in Middle Tennessee, we have tornadoes from time to time. And I have stood at my front door when I've known that there are tornado, tornadic activity miles from my house. And I've stood at my front door and commanded peace be still. and commanded that tornadoes will not come in my neighborhood. Because I have the same authority. Jesus told me. Listen to what David wrote. And speaking of David, you know, here's a guy who, you know, I was talking about this with a friend earlier this week. Here's a guy who became king of Israel. And this is, as king, he, he writes this psalm, Psalm 34. But what set him up to be king? What set, set him up to be king was a problem. What gained him favor with the people was a big problem named Goliath. And God's solution wasn't just to keep Goliath away from David. David went out there and he took on the problem that no one else would. Do you think that was stressful? Yeah, I think it was probably stressful. But you know what set David up to take Goliath on? Was him protecting his flock from the lion and from the bear. And so we have these little problems and sometimes they actually, the Lord uses those to prepare us for the big problem. And then God uses that big problem to set us up for something even bigger that we, can't even, we couldn't even imagine. But this is what David wrote here in Psalm 34, verse 19. He said, the righteous person faces many troubles. Again, oh, that's so comforting. Thank you, God. But the Lord comes to the rescue each time. God doesn't remove our troubles from us because we're righteous. But as we walk righteously, God gives us the capacity to stand strong, to endure, to persevere, to overcome through the trouble, through the stress. And his promise to us is that he comes to our rescue. Let me tell you this. The word troubles here in the Hebrew in this verse I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation of this, so I'm going to try my best. It's reot. And it's a word that has a lot of other different meanings, but they're all very similar. Like evil, bad, calamity, distress, harm, hurt, misery, sorrow. And the list goes on. There's a lot of synonyms there that this word trouble could mean. But this word is actually also the same word that's used to describe a form of torture that the Assyrians would use. They would take someone and they would tie them up to a post and then they would just start piling rocks on them one by one. I'm going to pile another rock on you one by one until the weight of those rocks finally would crush you and kill you. And I know that some of you are here today and you feel like that. You feel like, yeah, I'm in the kind of trouble where I feel like I'm tied up and I can't go anywhere. And if things are just piled on me. And the stress is piling on me. And, and if the one more thing piles on me, it's going to crush me. It's going to kill me. I get it. Jamie and I, we're not immune from trouble. We're not immune from stress. We're walking through some situations right now in this very moment. With some stress. With family members. Some intense stuff. We realize that life is tough. I realize that when you show up here, you, you look around and you see a lot of smiling faces that are genuine. Smiling faces that are glad to be here. You see my smiling face? I'm glad to be here. It's genuine. But I know that when you come here, sometimes when you come, you're like, man, I, I, I just want to be real. And, and again, smiling and being glad is not being unauthentic. It's not being not real. But some of you come in here with stress, and I just want you to know this is a safe place. This is a safe environment for you to come in because you, you, you've experienced a week full of noise. You've experienced a week full of just, you're, you've been bombarded with things. And we want you to know this is a safe place. 
We can come alongside you. We can help you bear the burden. We can come alongside you and pray with you. We can come alongside you and have faith and believe God's best for your life and help you. When we gather every single week, I want to make sure that when you leave this place, that you leave here encouraged, that you leave here feeling equipped, that you've got some God promises, that you've got some God principles, that you can walk out of here and you can believe those promises and you can put those principles into action. They're going to set you up for God's best for your life. That's what we want. That's what I want for you. That's what Jamie wants for you. That's what our team wants for you. We want God's very best for you. Let's do this. We're going to display a passage here in Psalm 62 up here on the screen. Instead of me just reading it to you, I want all of us to read it together out loud. Okay? And as we do that, we're, let's pay attention. Let's lean into what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. But before we start reading, I want to set this up just for a second. Psalm 62 was originally a song written by David. And then he brought in on the co-write his chief musician, Jeduthun. Jed for short. He brought Jed in on the co-write. And, and they're, they're writing this psalm. And it was actually, I don't know if you were in the service, if you were in here in the theater before we started the service, but we played a video of Psalm 34. And what I want to do is I want to highlight to you one word that's in the middle of this passage, and it's a word that's found about 77 times in the book of Psalms, and it's the word Selah. Selah. It's a Hebrew musical term, which basically means interlude. But here's the deal. They wouldn't just like throw this interlude in the middle of the song for the sake of just like musical art. They would have a selah. They would have this interlude for the purpose so that the people that are singing the song could stop and reflect on the truth of what they were singing. And let it sink into their hearts and let it sink into their thoughts. And it's like, you know what, we're just going to let this simmer on the stove for just a minute here. And so... So what we're going to do, we're going to do just that. We're going we're gonna to read through this passage, and we're going to have a Selah. And, uh, and we're going to pause and reflect, okay? So are you guys going to read this with me? Psalm 62, you ready? Here we go. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Selah. God, we thank you that you are a rock and our refuge. I'm glad that you're here today. I'm glad that you choose to come here week after week after week because I know, like I said, this is a safe place. For some of you, it's a refuge because you have been filled with that noisy week. You have been bombarded with problems and pain. And you can come here and you can redirect your thoughts you can refocus on the goodness of God. You can recenter yourself on the person of Jesus. You can remember about the Holy Spirit power that lives on the inside of you. But I want you to know this. You don't have to wait till Sunday. You don't have to wait till Wednesday. You don't have to wait till the, the day that your city group meets. But wherever you are, whenever you are, in the middle of your stress... In the middle of your problems, you can find rest for your soul. And I want to show you how to do that. The next part of this passage gives us two clues on how to look for that rest. In Psalm 62, verse 9, it says this. Low-born men are but a breath. What does that mean? Average people, average Joes, their, their life is just like, it's like a puff of wind. And you're like, well, that's not a very nice thing to say. But he doesn't just pick on low-born men because he says that high-born people are but a lie. 
Meaning, the people that we look at from a distance, and we, according to world standards, we'd say, yeah, they're successful. David is saying, it's not all it's cracked up to be. It's not all. It's, sometimes it's the facade. And he says, if weighed on a balance, they're nothing. Together, they are only a breath. So here's the deal. Whether you're successful, whether you're average, it doesn't really matter. Everybody's in the same boat. Everybody has been given the same amount of time. And that time is brief. And then David shifts gears here, and he says this in verse 10. He says, do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. So David's saying, hey, don't fall in love with the, the rat race. Don't fall in love with material possessions. Don't fall in love with just trying to get more like everyone else around you is doing. Because that stuff, at the end of the day, it's not going to amount to anything. So he's talking about two of the big issues here that are primary culprits for us when it comes to stress. First, he talked about our life being weighed and that our lives are like a, a breath. And in, in the scope of history, hey, we are just here today and gone tomorrow. We, we could probably all agree that a lot of our stress that we're dealing with in life, a lot of it is tied to our time. It's tied to the way our time is spent. Some of us, we feel like sometimes our time is not spent, but it's stolen. If we want to reduce our stress levels, then we're going to have to learn how to lean into the Holy Spirit's leadership in regards to how we spend our time. Right? Why is that? Because some of you here are doing more than is possible. Some of you here are spending more time than is possible. You're doing things, your life is so full of things that if, you, if, you don't, if you're not doing what God's called you to do, you're going to burn up or burn out. You're going at such a pace that, like I said, you're going to burn up or burn out. Because what we've got to do is we've got to come to this place and really figure out, what am I here for? What am I really here for? Because that's what I want to focus my time and my energy on. And like I said, if you don't do it, if you just do what everyone else is telling you to do, if that's how you spend your time, you'll burn up and burn out. Daniel chapter 5. We see this incredible story of Belshazzar. Belshazzar is the son of Nebuchadnezzar who's the king of Babylon. Now it's Belshazzar, Belshazzar's turn. It's his time up to the plate. He's king. And he decides, I'm going to throw a party with a thousand of my BFFs. And so they're doing this, and they're having a good old time. And then the party starts getting unhinged. It starts going off the rails. And Belshazzar starts mocking God, and he starts mocking the people of God that are under his captivity. And, uh, and, and so the party is like going from like everybody's drinking, they're having a great old time. Then Belshazzar kind of crosses the line, and now God is like, you know what? I'm going to have your attention now. And here's what happens. A hand, just a random hand, just appears and starts writing on the wall. It's like some Adam's family stuff here. <laughs> like what in the world? Can you imagine how freaked out you would be? A hand appears, and with the finger, it starts writing three words on the wall. First word was many. Not many like M-A-N-Y, but this, this word M-E-N-E, -E, many. Then another word appeared, tekel, T-E-K-E-L, and then parson. Many, tekel, parson. And so... Here's Belshazzar, and he's freaking out. I, I don't know what this means. I don't know what to do with this. I've just had this supernatural encounter, and I don't know what to do about it. Well, Daniel had already developed this reputation in the kingdom as a wise counselor. 
He'd already had a really great reputation. He had in, uh, a reputation of interpreting dreams. So Belshazzar's mom says, hey, we need to call for this guy, Daniel. So Daniel shows up on the scene. He says, I'll tell you exactly what this means. In verse 26, he says, many means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. Tekel means weighed. You've been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. Parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and to the Persians. So let's put this all together here. Because the wonderful thing is that the Holy Spirit still speaks to us today through the word of God. Amen? So those of us that are stressed out to the max, maybe we're not intentionally mocking God, but unintentionally we can be living our life in such a way, we can be spending our time in such a way that's, that's mocking God. Saying, God, I know better than you know, so I'm going to do this with my time. And, and it's just stressing you out, and you think, man, if I just had more hours of the day. And so instead of doing less, you're actually looking for more to do. And it's stressing you out. So what does all this mean for us? It means our days are numbered. You only have a certain amount of time in each day. And you're not going to live forever and ever and ever here on the earth. Your life is going to come to an end. Your days are numbered. And the way that you're spending your life right now is out of balance. Your life is out of balance. You've been weighed and things are not in balance. And if you don't do something about it, if you don't make the course corrections that you need to make, then it's going to cost you something. You can't keep going and doing at the pace at which you're going. Again, thank God the Holy Spirit speaks to us and gives these words of correction. He's saying, hey, son, hey, daughter, Come into alignment for your, with my plan with your life. It's not too late. So the question, if this is you, if you feel like, yeah, huh, man, that, that totally describes me right now. I feel like I don't have enough hours in the day. I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm stressed out to the max. I feel like, man, I, my life is out of balance. I don't want it to get to a place where it's going to cost me something great. So the question that we ask ourselves is, what can we do? What is something practical that you can do to make course corrections, to come into agreement with and come into alignment with God's good plan for your life. I want to give you just, just an idea here. One of the things you can do is just regularly look at your schedule and be honest with yourself. Be real with yourself. You are not Superman. You are not Wonder Woman. So be honest with yourself and say, is my life in balance with what I know God has called me to do? Is my life, the way that I'm spending my time, does my schedule reflect God's plan for my life? Or is it out of balance? Look at your calendar and schedule your God priorities. It's like God's will for your life is not going to be fulfilled on accident. It's going to be fulfilled when we come into agreement with what he's, he's spoken over our lives, the plan that he has for our lives. And when we follow through and, and walk in obedience, this is just a feel-good message this morning. When you talk about obedience, it's always like, mm, warm fuzzies. It, 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 but listen, I promise you, when you're walking in obedience, when you're right smack dab in the middle of God's plan for your life, there, there's no better place to be. I don't care if there's problems. I'm not saying that, that it's problem-free in the middle of God's will for your life, but in the midst of problems, it's still that, the, the most joyful place. It's still the most happy place. It's still the most peaceful place when you know you're in the middle of God's will for your life. So look at your life. Look at your schedule. Schedule your priorities. Do this for me. It, not for me. Do it for yourself. Say yes to God before you say yes to anything else. Some of you need to write this down and remember this. Because you're saying yes to so many things in your life that then you, you filled your life up so much to the point where you don't even have room to say yes to God. Say yes to God first before you say yes to anything else. On Sunday afternoons, on Sunday evenings, 
Take some time to reflect. Take some time to look at your calendar over the next week. To look at your schedule over the next week and say, okay, how can I, like after I've heard God's voice, and I'm not talking about this one message. I'm talking about week after week after week. What is God speaking to you? God might be saying stuff to you that has nothing to do with what comes out of my mouth. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you when you're here? Go home on a Sunday afternoon. Go home on a Sunday night and look at your calendar and say, what can I do this week to walk in obedience to what I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me this morning? And plan the necessary adjustments. And you know what that means? It means you're going to have to say no to some things. You're going to have to say no to some things that are even good things. Things that are even good. Like, well, I just thought we're supposed to just fill our life up with good things. Yeah, you can do that, and then you can never accomplish God's plan for your life. And you could have done a lot of great good things, but you wouldn't have achieved the great thing. This is what Jim Collins said in his book. He said, good is the enemy of great. And that is one of the key reasons why we have so little that becomes great. Because we filled our lives up with so much just things that are good. Few people attain great lives in large part because it's just so easy to settle for a good life. So time is the first thing. If we can handle our time the right way, then we're going to be able to reduce some of our stress. The next thing that David talked about here that he touches here in Psalm, in Psalm 62, the, another stress culprit is our riches or our money. And I don't think this, is, this comes to any shock or surprise to any of us. What? You mean to say money can be the source of stress in your life? I didn't know that. Surprise. No, we all knew this. When we make poor decisions in the area of money, the stress levels can go out the roof, right? You might know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> My wife is like, yes. <laughs> I'm going to tell, tell myself. About 12 years ago, um, Jamie and I had just sold a piece of, of property. We'd sold a piece of real estate, and we, we had made a pretty good profit on it. We were very, I, was, I was very happy with the amount of profit that we had gained, especially considering the amount of time that we had owned the property and the market that it was in. And actually, that's a whole other God story about listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. We'll leave that for another time. But we were flush with cash, baby. <laughs> It was great. First thing that we did was tithe on our increase. Second thing that we did was reinvest a large portion of what we had gained. We reinvested back into some real estate. And then the third thing we did is we just kept some of that back, some, just, some liquid cash. We kept it back just for some savings. And, and I think I must have just like gotten overconfident somewhere. My wife's just trying not to laugh out loud. Um, I, I guess I just got to this point where like, okay, cool. I got it now. I can handle this. I don't need to consult with my wife about our finances. Don't need to really be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I got this now. And uh, a friend of mine had just made a big purchase on a, on a, on a home improvement. And it's a funny thing about this friend. If I reflect and look back on my friend and his track record, he really didn't have a great track record financially. He, he was making a lot of good money, but he wasn't really managing his money very well. That should have been like a red flag to me. Maybe some of you guys need to hear that right now about some of the people that are trying to tell you what to do with your money. What kind of track record do they have? But this friend of mine, he, he had made this big purchase on a home improvement, and he had called me up and told me, hey, this salesperson is going to reach out to you, and they want to set up an appointment with you uh, because, you know, I get a little bit of kickback if, if uh, you know, you make an appointment with him. I said, okay, that's fine. I'll do it. I, you know, get you a little bit of money, whatever. So the salesperson comes to my house, and he's selling whole house water filtration systems. This is not like some Brita filter that you hook up to your sink. I mean, this is a Rolls Royce of water filtration systems. Whole house. The whole thing. Like the water coming out of the spigot, out of the side of the house. It's been filtered, baby. My grass is getting the best. <laughs> and I fell for this sales pitch hook, 
line and sinker. And on the spot, not like, oh, let me think about this. Oh, let me talk to my wife about this. Oh, let me consider this. Let me look at our finances. On the spot, I decided to spend thousands of dollars to buy this. I was like, I just got to have this. I have to have it for our health. (laughs) For the health of my children, I have to have this. We're going to have this filtered water. We're going to bathe in filtered water. We've got to have it. And I decided to spend thousands of dollars on purchasing this and having it installed in my home. Was it a good product? Absolutely. It was a great product. It was fantastic. I wish I still had it. (laughs) That wasn't the problem. Did I really have to have it? No, I didn't. Did I consult with my wife or consider my current financial savings or position? No, I didn't. You know the crazy thing is, is about this water filtration system? You know, it not only did it like filter all of the water in the house, but it also caused an incredible amount of stress in my marriage and my personal finances. The great thing is, is that I've learned from that situation, and I'm not going around spending thousands of dollars anymore without consulting my wife, without paying attention to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and considering my personal finances. And so, again, that was 12 years ago. Praise God for the grace of God and that the wisdom comes and we don't repeat our mistakes. But some of you guys need to hear that story because, I mean, how many of us have purchased things and, and we were like, man, I, I just got to have this. And you're like, no, you don't really. And, it, and it's put you in a stressful position financially, which then puts... Stress on your, the relationship in your marriage, relationship with your kids. You're being a little bit more bitey with your kids because you're under financial stress. Like, where, where is this coming from? Why am I so tense? Why am I so easy to re- respond in anger to my own kids and my own wife and my own husband? Why, where's that coming from? See, some of that stuff could have been avoided. Make some course corrections here in the area of finances. The Apostle Paul gave some Holy Spirit wisdom to Timothy, he wrote this. He said in this, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, he said, Godliness comes with great gain. I mean, we need to evaluate our lives to make sure that greed, to make sure just even the cultural pressures, the friend that says, hey, I just bought this whole house water filtration system. You need one too. We need to make sure that, that cultural pressures are not are pushing us to just get more and spend more and buy more and have more. Don't fall into that trap. For we brought nothing into the world, and we will take nothing out of it. Last time I, I, I've never seen, driving down the highway, a hearse pulling U-Haul. But if, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Listen, be at peace with living a simple life. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money. Now, it doesn't say money. Money itself is a wonderful thing. Money itself is influence. That that God says, what are you going to do with your influence? With the money that you have, the influence that you have, what are you going to do with it? It's not just there to pay the bills. It's there to make a difference. And so it's not money that is the root of all kinds of evil. It is the love of it. It's not having it in the right place in your heart. It's not having the right understanding of it. The love of money is the root of all kind of evil. It's the root of all kind of stress too. Again, it's not the money itself, but it's the position in your heart and the position of your thoughts and how you deal with it. Some people eager for money... They have wandered from the faith. They've left God. They've walked away from God. They've walked away from the church. They've walked away from being in fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ over this issue. And they pierced themselves with many griefs. It didn't work out. It hurt them. 
Listen, if you want to reduce your stress levels, put money in the proper place in your heart and do some practical things to set yourself up for success in the area of finances. There are plenty of incredible tools out there that help you get some wisdom and help you start down the path of finding freedom in this area of your life. I want to give you one of these tools. If you need some financial tools to help you, go to DaveRamsey.com. There's a wealth of incredible resources there. And I, and I, I want to say this. Dave is not paying me right now to plug his product. I'm plugging his product because I believe he's got tools that can help you get on God's path for your life in the area of finances. But Dave, if you're watching this right now, <laughs> you can send your check over. And I will go to Las Vegas. <laughs> I, I want to leave you with this just this one thing. I want to leave you with this one thing. This, this is going to help you greatly reduce your stress levels, especially when it comes to the areas of time and money. You're never going to know the best way to spend your time. You're never going to know the best way to spend your money until you start living with a sense of purpose and urgency. You got to live with a sense of purpose and urgency. One of the best ways for you to know what to do with your time and your money is to define what is my life all about. Because when I know what my life is all about, then it's really easy then for me to say yes to certain things and to say no to other things. Listen, that's why this church exists. That's why Seeds Church exists to help you discover your purpose, to help you be equipped to walk that purpose out. That's why we have the pathway called DNA. It's, it's a launching pad. It's a catalyst for you to start discovering your purpose, to, for you to start discovering how did God craft and create me? What kind of spiritual gifts has he given me to start down that path? The next one's Saturday, October 13th. If you've not gone through DNA, sign up. Come. Start down the path. The, the filter for my money decisions, the filter for my time decisions is this. Does this help me fulfill my purpose? Because if my life is but a breath and my time on earth is limited to fulfill God's call in my life, if my time on earth is limited to make the difference here on earth that he always intended for me to make, then I want to be a man of purpose living on purpose. Jamie, will you come? I've asked her... To, to come up here, and uh, like I said before, we, we're not immune from stress. We're not immune from problems. Oh, they're the pastors of Seas Church. They just got it all together. Listen, we, we have problems. We have stress, but more than we would like to let on. But I want Jamie to share with you part of our story and part of her story of, of how she was learning and how the Holy Spirit has led her to be free from stress. And she's going to share that, and then we're going to close today with a song. So about, um, about eight years ago, I want to share with you, in a brief amount of time in our lives, eight years ago, over a course of about five weeks, we had some pretty catastrophic things happen um, that caused major, major stress. But I honestly think the stress began um, when we first got married because I had this like picture in my brain of what I was supposed to look like, what I was supposed to be like. And I don't know if any other women, especially with Pinterest these days, good Lord alive, it is the greatest enemy and the greatest asset all at the same time. It's like a give and take. Um, I had to have my house pristine at all times. I'd have my children lined up in their perfect little matching outfits. and I was that girl. I had it all together. Everyone that saw me thought, man, she has it all together. At least in my mind, people thought that. And um, I went in um, to get my wisdom teeth out. Simple procedure. No big deal. Stressful. You know, surgery can be stressful. Got out from that, and um, it was Thanksgiving week. So I had my wisdom teeth out on Tuesday. Thought I'd have all Thanksgiving week to 
recover. And I woke up Thanksgiving morning, and if you've ever had a dry socket ever, it's the worst thing ever, and I had all four dry sockets. Stress from sickness, from not feeling right, came on me, and it was Thanksgiving where I'm supposed to have everything perfect, the turkey perfect, you know, everything perfect. And you know what's funny? Thanksgiving went on, and it wasn't perfect, and I actually think we ate, like, box mac and cheese that day. <laughs> that, ha- that is how unimportant the stress that I was putting on my family and on myself and the way I was treating everybody around me from the stress of having to have it perfect in the midst of not feeling well. And that following week, I took my daughter. Um, sorry, I'm totally going to cry. <laughs> I took my oldest daughter um, to see the Nutcracker for her birthday. And on the way home, we had a horrible, horrible car accident. that landed me in a place that um, it didn't just unwind me physically. Mentally, I just began to unravel. And about a week later, in the middle of the night, I woke up and I looked at JD and I said, I don't know what's going on, but you have to move the carbon monoxide detector. It was in the middle of the night. He was like, what? I'm like, get out of bed. I need you to move the carbon monoxide detector to the basement. And we lived in Colorado, and um, it was cold, and everything was shut up in the house. And an hour after he'd come back to bed, the carbon monoxide detector was blaring loudly out of the basement where my daughter, who was also in the car with me, was sleeping. And we ran downstairs, and we're shaking her, trying to wake her up, because she's already in this really deep, deep sleep from the carbon monoxide. And again, I just began to unravel. Well, through all of this, I'd been going to my chiropractor multiple times a week, three, four times a week, because I just couldn't get right. And I saw my life, my perfect picture, stress-filled, out-of-control life, coming apart at the seams. And I remember the chiropractor calling me. He was a spirit of a man. He said, I need you to come in, not to adjust you. I need... I need to have a consult with you. And I came in and I sat down in his office and he said, I can't get your back fixed. It's not doing what I need it to do. And he said, I was praying for you this morning and I felt like the Spirit of God said to me, she carries the weight of the world on her shoulders and it is buckling her body. And I was angry. I was angry. Because all these things were unraveling around us. So I left the chiropractor and I drove to Sam's Club because I love to shop when I feel stressed. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm sitting in the parking lot of Sam's Club in Loveland, Colorado the presence of God filled my car. And I sat in that moment angry and hurt and broken and stressed. And I heard him say, here we are in ministry. We've been in ministry for years. Three kids, perfect home, perfect life. So it looked. He said, you tell everyone else to lay everything down at my feet. And yet you never have. And he said, look, look back. So I looked back at Thanksgiving, at the mess of health that I was in. And he said, I was there. Your family was thankful. And it was fine. It was fine without the perfection, without the stress. Look back. And I saw the wreck in my mind. And I saw... I saw the moment where I turned around to then my seven-year-old daughter and saw a car coming at her. And I held up my hand and said, Jesus, because it's all I could say. And the power of God filled that car and surrounded us. And somehow we ended up on the other side of the road in a full stop. We were completely fine. The car was a mess. And then I 
fast forward to the moment when he woke me up in the middle of the night and said, move the carbon monoxide detector, move it. And he saved her life, which was one of the greatest stresses of my life. Moms, your kids, you're afraid something's going to happen to them. And as I'm sitting in my car in Loveland, Colorado, in the middle of my frustration and longing to feel normal again and to look normal again, I realized that I no longer cared what I looked like. I just cared that the king was for me and he was my defender and that he had gone before me. And all those things that I was allowing to cause stress in my life, all of those things, he said, let them go. Just let them go and remind yourself, I am your defender. Stop busying your life. Stop filling your time and look to me. Stop stressing about your finances. Look to me. Do you not see? And so this morning, I encourage you in this. Your time and your finances, those things that stress you out. He is your defender. He is. And all he's saying is, lean into me. Lean into me. Follow me. Follow my lead. He has your best interest at heart. And so will you just stand with me this morning? I want to just sing this song as a benediction over you, but we're going to have our prayer team come down here. If you're feeling the weight this morning of stress, or maybe you're feeling the weight this morning of having to perform or you're feeling the weight this morning of having to have your life look a certain way, or maybe you're feeling the stress of the fear. And fear is such a stressor. In every situation, in those five weeks, and in people that knew me then and people that know me now know those moments. I do not believe God caused those things. Hear me, I do not believe God caused those things. But I know he used them to change me, to see myself the way that he sees me, and that to know I am enough. I don't have to perform. I don't have to have things just perfect. Let it go. I think we put those things on ourselves a lot. And he's saying, Let it go. Just lean into me. Ladies, I have to say this before we sing. If our life is but a breath, your house doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't. Spend that time with the Lord. I'm not saying live amok or be wild and a reckless abandon, but I am saying this. You don't have to have a perfect, everything in line, order, life that causes so much stress. Does that make sense, everybody here?